Okay, we are live. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you if you are streaming live or if you're listening to us on Spotify. My name is Jake here with the lovely Daniel Pronk coming at you with Stock News. This is Stock Talk. We talk about recent earnings reports, startups, anything related to investing, uh, particularly long-term value-based investing, and our favorite part, interacting with the live chat and taking the stocks that you guys give us live. Thank you so much for being here, Robert, David, Knockabout, Sven. Good morning, Carlos, John. Sorry if I'm missing any names here. And Daniel, good morning to you. What's good going morning. on here up there in Canada? Uh, not much. We, we're still getting some snow. We had snow over the weekend. It looks like it's melted now, but hopefully, hopefully no more snow and it can turn into spring. Definitely. So we thought we'd kick off this episode here with a few minute segment actually on startups. So we normally talk about public companies. Many of you may know Daniel and I are two out of three founders of Stock Unlock. We are a venture backed startup. Daniel, I figured I'd start by asking you, what are some of the most surprising things that's happened in the last year or two? Your background has nothing to do with software and you had two crazy software engineers from New York City reach out to you to start a company. What are some of the most unexpected things that have happened uh, that you've learned throughout that process? Um, sorry, in the chat, someone said there's an echo. So I was just making sure if, if there is an echo, please let us know. We definitely don't want that. But yeah. Some of the most surprising things about starting a startup is it's a lot of just like you're taking a lot of shots in the dark and a lot of things you don't know if they're going to work out as you're building them until, you know, you just kind of ship the product. All you can really do is listen to your users as much as possible, which we really try hard to do, and basically build whatever your users want and let, kind of let them guide you. But yeah, it's, you know, like you can spend a month building something and you don't know if it's going to work <laughs> so it's a lot of faith a lot of hope and uh a lot of uncertainty yeah i was about to say it's definitely a double-edged sword with building things around consumer asks i'd say one reason why we have thousands of paying customers around the world who love us shout out to you if you're listening thank you so much for your support is because we are very responsive to customers we implement what they want but of course we get so many feature requests we have multi you know Documents that are literally dozens of pages of size 12 font notes of all the feature requests. And farther, sometimes consumers don't even know what they want. So I have found sometimes we find ourselves in a black hole too of like, are we, should we like pause and think? That's always under like a really hard part for me because you want, you want to make everyone super happy, but then also they're not going to be happy if you're building the wrong things. Right. So yeah, what are some of the, so what's some of the favorite things that we built here. I know I'm going to coin you the idea guy, Daniel, just a little inside baseball here. Daniel and I both uh, called each other the idea guy over the weekend. I thought about it a lot. Daniel, I am seeding to you. You are the idea guy. What are some of the favorite things like you've worked on? Because we can be incredibly imaginative with this and software, right? Built some yeah. cool so one thing that I've always wanted to build before I met you and we started Stock Unlock was our current insights scoring system on stocks. Cause basically, you know, I go through so many different companies on a daily basis. Like I, I thoroughly enjoy researching and analyzing companies, but I found myself doing the same thing over and over, looking at the current ratio, looking at the balance sheet, how many intangible assets do they have? How much is their revenue growing? And I was like, this is such a monotonous process that you could literally just code into a platform and it would spit out a score. It would just tell you everything that's important right away and it would save me hours of time. And uh, yeah, so that's that's really why we built the insights and that is my favorite feature for sure, by far. Very happy we did that and it's just cool to see it, you know, come to life. Yeah, I'm excited to double down on that. I know we've gotten a lot of great requests for adding additional time frame filters on that. We've also had a lot of requests for, hey, can I search on stocks based on their insight scores? Yes, you can. We built that. So we also have a screener around our scores. It's great. And I guess we could button this up and move on to Tesla earnings soon. But an exciting little note here. Obviously, AI is on the rise. I'd say AI to me is less important than customer value. However, will be interesting for you all to hear. We are really diving deep on some potential AI integrations with the value we have already built into Stock Unlock. 
do not worry we are not planning on building another clone of a lot of the other chatbots out there but in exciting ways we are seeing a ton of value so if you have not already joined our free discord or reached out to the support email we love hearing from you please even if it's just a keep doing what you're doing you know we we want to hear from you so reach out to us and thank you for your continued support Daniel, any last words there before we hand it off to you for the Tesla earnings dive? Because that is a exciting one. Uh, yeah, a couple things. We're getting a lot of great comments in the chat. Just people saying Insights is great. Our platform is awesome. Thank you guys so much. Like, truly, we appreciate that. It's a lot of hard work. <laughs> and then um, someone asked, how do you search for a new stock and mostly how you narrow them down? Yeah, as Jake said, I use the stock unlock insights filter now for almost finding all of my new stocks. It is, it's just so good for finding new stocks because when you use another filter, you have to go through like a hundred or a thousand results one by one and look at their balance sheets, the revenue growth and everything. But our insights filter, when you put in your, or sorry, our insights screener, when you put in your filters, then we rank all of the stocks by their insight score. So the stocks on the top are usually quite fundamentally sound. And then the question is just like, okay, well, what is this business? What is it worth? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do I understand it? But it gives you a really good starting point to find some high quality stocks like within within a few minutes. So yeah. And if yeah. anyone's listening on audio only, you can head to stockandlock.com on our sidebar, hit the screener icon. If you are on video or YouTube live, hello very quick screen share on this 30 seconds this is what our screener looks like we are working on the ui to make it easier and easier to use so bear with us we are a startup after all there are presets to get you started and the way you should think about this is as an investor or a new investor you can come in and use our different filters to search for stocks in the united states on certain exchanges and what i highly recommend doing is starting off with our insight scores learn what they are these are not buy or sell signals. However, they're meant to save you a lot of time on how to think of a company's financials and performance across a ton of different categories and stocks are not as simple as a single number as something we believe. So yes, this is the right tool for you. Play around with it. And if you have questions on it, hop in our Discord, hop on the support at stop and lock email, and we are always very quick to answer. Anything else to add there, Daniel? No, that's it. Uh, let's talk about Tesla now. Oh yeah, this is a fun one. Kick us off here, Daniel. I know you spent a lot of time looking at the report and the last time we talked about the stock, we had a lot of haters in the comments. So maybe <laughs> we'll see you guys again. And we love just sharing alternate perspectives here. So just know these are just our opinions. This is not financial advice. Yeah. So this was an interesting earnings report because I actually see both sides of the bear and bull arguments going on with Tesla right now. So basically what happened with Tesla, just a quick refresher, um, their margins are dropping quite a bit and their profitability is dropping quite significantly. And the bears are saying, you know, Tesla's margins are on the downtrend and the company is just going to become another automaker. Like this is what the company is. They've passed peak profitability. And this, the reason their profits are dropping is actually for two reasons. The first one is because they continue to drop the price of their Tesla. So they're cutting their prices. I believe Please fact check me someone on this, but I believe they've cut their prices by five to six, or sorry, they've cut their prices five to six times over the past year. So they continue lowering the price of their vehicles, which is obviously harming the gross margin, operating margin and everything. While at the same time, inflation is causing their costs to go up. So it's like a double whammy against the profit margins right now. So that's what the bears are saying is like Tesla's profitability has peaked. We've seen the best days of Tesla now, but then you hear to the sorry, then you listen to the conference call and you hear Elon Musk say, sorry, my speaking is awful this morning, but then you hear Elon Musk say that they're sacrificing margins to basically just sell as many vehicles as they possibly can to get as much market share as they can. And then you take a look at the market share statistics on Tesla and they are gaining market share. So I see both arguments. Like I think that gaining as much market share as you can early because they are the leader in EVs right now is a good idea. But I also see the argument where it's like they are sacrificing a lot of profitability to do that. So I don't know. It's it's a really interesting report. I don't really have an entrenched opinion on either side. I kind of see both sides. So I, I don't know. I'd love to talk about if it. If you ha if you have to pick one, 
Do you, is there one that you side on? Or are you really going to plead the fifth on the middle line here? Very respectable standpoint, of course. I, if I, if I had to, I would actually lean towards taking market share right now. So Sorry, uh, that, uh, there is the bull case and the bear case. So you're saying you agree, you would, ha you would lean towards, even though you're kind of on the middle, Elon's mindset of they're gaining market share. This isn't a lack of moat. It's very deliberate. For yeah, them. I, I actually think that I agree with Elon, like gaining as much market share as possible immediately in the EV space is probably better long-term at the sake of, or sorry, at the sake of profitability, because the company is still free cash flow positive. They still generated free cash flow and they have $22 billion of cash on the balance sheet. So it's like, they don't really need to be generating a ton of cash right now. Like, yeah, it would be great, you know, to see that free cash flow yield to go up and whatever, but you know, over the long term, they could try and prove that out and uh, increase the margins once they have the market share. Yeah, maybe we can get some of those uh, screenshots up of the earnings. I do agree with you. And one thing I saw also, and we talk about this every stream, Daniel, where free cash flow, of course, is nice to see, but it's not an immediate write-off when it's not there. Of course, Amazon is the classic example. And I read specifically in the Tesla report that they are continuing to build out factories. Also, I know we will get this comments, especially from the Tesla bulls. So we'll just say it here. Tesla, I believe, is more than a car company, although currently most of their revenues do come from cars, which I think is a great line to draw. And a very interesting point I saw, Daniel, doubling down on what you were saying where Elon said, hey, I'm lowering the prices to gain market share. I started to get a little sense that Elon is thinking about car sales differently and the revenue model of a car. So typically with a gas-powered car, you sell the car and then maybe that same company that sold the car gets maintenance so you get some contract with the customer. It's a little bit different that with electric vehicles because Tesla is also going into the battery storage, fast charging superchargers. And I did notice, even though it is a smaller portion of their revenue, the energy business is going up and they were claiming that they're selling more cars today is going to result in more recurring revenue for them in the future because not only are they selling them the car at the point of sale, but they're going to get recurring revenue from their users, from their fast charging stations and battery storage facilities. So it was yeah. very interesting to me seeing them kind of ship the cost the company would be getting over time over like close to 100% of the cost of purchase at one time versus lowering that cost of purchase, gaining market share, as well as the tailwinds of the other products they'll see have very nice tailwinds once they sell more cars. So that was a really interesting one to me. Yeah, this is their energy business growth right here. So that's their energy storage development, or sorry, deployments. You can see it's at an all-time high by far. The gross margin on their energy business is still pretty bad at like 7%. So I imagine this is actually not a profitable segment of the business. But, you know, over time that may become more efficient. But yeah, this business is growing. But um, yeah, what Elon said on the call was that he believes Tesla could sell their cars at a 0% profit margin because the future value of every car they sell is going to be extremely high because they can sell software. So essentially, once they build out full self-driving, oh, oops, once they build out full self-driving, then uh, they're going to be able to sell their software at like five to $15,000 a pop. And then all of these cars on the road, their theory is that everyone's going to buy full self-driving. And then it's going to be like a 100% profit margin on all of that software and that's when the company's going to become a free cash flow machine and truly a software company on all of these products, cars, products that they've already sold. Now, I'm a little bit less optimistic on that because I think that for a car to be able to fully drive itself and for me to take a nap in the back, we are pretty far away from that. Is that your bar for self-driving? It's like, that's what is the, the level of nap I am like legally allowed to take in this car? Yeah. No, because I don't like I. I think that the current self driving is cool, but I don't know if I'd really trust it fully. And like, you still have to be aware of everything going on. So at that point, it's like, cool, the car can drive itself, but I'm not going to pay fifteen thousand dollars for that. I would pay fifteen thousand dollars if my car could legit drive me from point A to point B, and I could just nap in the back, and everything's fine. And like, I've seen the viral videos from like police cams and stuff where they're pulling the people over who are legit asleep. Yeah, but like you're not. Yeah, but you're not supposed to do that yet. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I totally agree. I'm just saying, like, you know, I agree with you. Let's be safe. But what's unfortunate is consumers also speak for themselves, and it seems yeah. like some people are already ready for that. Yeah, and the... 
I just think that's still a pretty long ways off. Like, I don't know if the regulators are going to let that happen anytime soon. Yeah, so I'll uh, continue this dog pile because I think we're going through a lot of bull arguments here. I think that there are some good bear comments in the chat too of lowering margins and things like that, which is also attacking the other car makers. But in the world of AI, we actually just saw Reddit announced that they're going to start to license and close off their data. This is a huge deal for AI companies that use this open, quote, open internet data to train their AI models to the point where some people are even saying they think ChatGPT is going to have to stop and turn off their services until some of these issues are rectified with the data they use. That's more of a speculation. However, tying this back to Tesla, which is what we're talking about here. One other thing they said in their report, their 10K filing wasn't out to the SEC. So this is from their unaudited presentation. They did advertise, I think it was 150 million miles or something like that, that they are clocking on all the people in their beta test pilot for auto driving. I don't know what other car companies have, and they are talking about this, but if they really are capturing the most car data, the most driving data, and that's all proprietary to Tesla, they they could, in theory, also monetize that data and sell it to other car companies in addition to their battery systems and things like that. So, of course, we said from a valuation standpoint, this business is incredibly expensive. Everyone's looking at it. Typically, Tesla aside, just generally speaking, I know you and I don't really love to look where everyone else is looking. I also feel that all the analysis being done on Tesla, like I don't know what else I'm going to find that other people haven't. So I will say what I said last time, which really pissed people off. I'm not seeing a lot of meat on the bone here in terms of a value play. However, it is one of the most interesting stocks of our time, given the founder, given how much the business has grown and all the haters that they have brushed off from the short sellers to making it out of, you know, the hard time period for Tesla where they almost went out of business. This is not a company to bet against. I'm not sure if you're willing to make any statements, Daniel, on the investability of this business after your analysis or where I stand. Yeah, I I would just totally agree with you. I think I definitely think you don't need to have a position on every stock. So I don't think you need to be short Tesla and I don't think that you need to own Tesla. I, here's what I think. I think that you can do perfectly fine as an investor. And if you really dedicate yourself, outperform the S and P 500 without owning Tesla in your portfolio. I just don't think it's a necessity to own it. I would love to own it if it was at a reasonable valuation, but it's just, you know, there's so many eyes on it. There's so many people analyzing the stock who probably know, well, who for sure know way more than I do. So I don't feel like I have an edge there. And I feel like people are paying a significant premium just for the excitement on that stock, which yeah, very volatile too. Not, not for the painted parts. We, um, did you see Kathy Wood's new price target on Tesla? What was it? Like four twenty sixty nine or something? Controlling us? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's 2000. I think her, her like middle case, please fact check me in the chat again, but I think her middle case was $2,500 a share, which is like a $7 billion, $7 trillion valuation by 2027 in just five years. No, four years now. My mom taught me once when you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. <laughs> and that is my response there. We do have some uh, chats in response to this Tesla conversation thank you so much for this gonna go through a few of them from robert here we got our little comedian when i when i go i want to do it like my grandpa did dot 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 in his sleep not like the not like the passenger in his tesla screaming as they drive off a cliff (laughs) a little bit of dark humor there but yeah we we got some pretty funny comments in the chat about kathy now i you know what i agree with all of you (laughs) that's what i'll say yeah it's yeah. Uh, anyways, one little quick comment here from uh, Pardeep. I think Uber is a win for self-driving to make profit a reality. My light opinion on this is I don't agree, and that's because Uber actually had a self-driving car unit that they actually had to sell off, and they killed someone, which is not funny, and they fell behind. They were, yeah, it's crazy. They were not able to execute. I did not come prepared with references, of course, I would... Uh, it's been a while since I thought about that, but Uber is going to have to change a lot if that's going to be a winner for them because they already failed miserably at it and spent a lot of money. In theory, though, yes, in theory, that should work, but it didn't for them. What about this comment here, Daniel? Um, this is just a correction on what I said. The bull case is 2500 and the normal case is $2,000 a share. So thank you, Wouter. Appreciate it. Also, shout out to Router. We do have a couple really great fans here that we really appreciate. Router is one of the fans that helps us clip up, uh, clip up some of these streams. 
So shout out Router. We really appreciate your continued support and viewership. Yeah, so Daniel, I'm going to get hop to stock talk here, Netflix earnings. Do you have any, where, where are you feeling pulled to right now? Endless world of possibilities, things we could talk about. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't mind talking about the overall market quick. And then in the chat, let us know. Do you want us to talk about Netflix earnings really quick? Or do you want us to just hop into stock talk and take requests? So let us know what you guys think in the chat. But Jake, how do you feel about the market right now? Are you buying? Are you selling? Do you think it's overvalued? What's going on? The analogy for me about the market is we've been on a very weathered ship in a storm, and it was hard to tell if you were in the eye of the hurricane or not. I kind of give the classic answer here. I never watched the broader market. I try to be aware of it. I have not been buying much. Everyone knows I'm a huge bull on Airbnb. I was buying that pretty heavily at 90 bucks. I loved it. It has since ran a lot. I keep on wanting it to go back down. It will not go back down below 110. I do want that to happen. I can't predict stock prices. That is the stock I'm watching. Uh, Chewy is on my watch list. Way too expensive today. But if that's one of the, if we go into a recession and stocks get really, really destroyed, Chewy is a stock I might get really interested in around a six to seven bill market cap. Keep in mind that's less than half than where it's at today. Yeah. And the last response here, Daniel, again, not financial advice. I have been buying shares in dollar cost average fashion, uh, maybe between two and four a week of NSA, which is a public storage REIT. We actually, or you actually shared that on our stock unlock newsletter, and I have done a lot more research. So that is a stock I have been nibbling on. It has a very high dividend yield, good management, and I could go on for a few minutes, which I'll bite my tongue at as to yep. why I think the public REIT storage space is actually a pretty good REIT option for a recession, especially NSA, because there are a few of them. Yeah. Let me now that back to you. What are you looking at? Do you have any questions for me about those those decisions? Yeah, sorry. Um, I agree. I like NSA. I don't own it, but, you know, what I love to see, one thing that I really love to see lately is when the stock is going down, insiders buying more shares, and that's happening on NSA. It's a very clear indication that they're like, you know, the business inside is internally is fine, and we have more information than absolutely anyone, and we're buying millions of dollars worth of shares while the stock is down quite significantly. I think that's a good signal. That's happening on NSA, and I think the fundamentals of that business are very strong. So, you know, I, I agree with you on that one. One thing about your Airbnb comment, though, how do you... So I know you initially started buying around like 90 or whatever it was, but since you bought, that was a few months ago, the fundamentals of that business have increased. So therefore, do you increase your price target as the fundamentals and the free cash flow grow? Because technically, let's say... Before, I'm just going to make up some numbers. Before, $90 a share may have been a 20 price to free cash flow. But now the cash flow has grown. So a 20 price to free cash flow now may be 105. So do you increase your price target or are you still just like, no, I want 90? That, that is a great question. So the way I've been thinking about this is just in terms of like market cap. So when I started buying, the stock was at about low 60s in market cap. This is just my prediction. Feel free to disagree with me. I feel pretty bullish on within the end of this decade, Airbnb going up to $500 billion company. My bear case is around 250. So just looking at the market cap today, I think any shares I'm buying for my very long-term hold horizon, in my personal opinion, which could be wrong, is a good idea. Here's a psychological issue I get into, Daniel. So we could run the price-free cash flow or change the DCF. I agree with you there. What is really hard for me to do, and it's something I need to improve on as an investor, is once I buy a share, of a company, whatever my average cost is, I have a psychological barrier to like paying more than the average cost I already have, which is against my entire mindset as an investor of continuing to buy good businesses. Yeah. And just to tie that other point up, I'm looking at NSA in the market, that stock's been getting beaten down. Usually when I'm making investments, they're relative to each other. So I there's other stocks relative in the market that are trading for more attractive prices to me, such as NSA than Airbnb's business is today. It does kill me since I do think the stock will be up in the future, but I'm getting a little bit gambly, Daniel, with looking at the choppy market we're in and a lot of the news I don't agree with coming out on Airbnb and just almost hoping there's a little bit more negative news of people having bad experiences so I could get more shares underneath the 110 or like 105 price. Yeah. So, But yeah, again, relative to other stocks, it just wasn't as juicy. Okay, so there's, there's actually, you just said quite a bit. 
Uh, classic, right? Shut up, Jake. I'll mute myself. No, 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 no. No, I, <laughs> I don't mean that as in you're talking too much. I mean that as in there's a lot of things I could respond to. So I got to choose one. It's, it's interesting that you don't want to increase your average price once you buy a stock. One, because I know you and I know that you buy one to five shares at a time. So I think with such small buys, just as a friend, not financial advice, you, you should probably try to figure out a way to get over that hurdle in your investing because you're buying such small amount of shares at once. And maybe one way to do that would be to kind of autopilot your buys more. Like I'm just going to buy Airbnb this month at whatever price, as long as it's under, you know, an unreasonable price. And I'm just going to do that automatically. Kind of just like legit dollar cost average it. And then also, it sounds almost like you want to see the percent gain at a higher number than your actual net dollar gain. So theoretically, you have five shares of Airbnb. Let's say you have a 40% profit on it. Would you rather have that or a thousand shares of Airbnb at a 20% profit? Yeah, I, I see where you're getting at here. Uh, when it's framed that way, I think more of like the long, long-term business, like Airbnb is one of those businesses I'd want to hold for a while. And you are right. This is something I have to work on. I will make a clarification. There's only so many stocks you can buy at a time when you're not making a ton of money. And that's also true. That is one of the reasons why we are working very hard to grow stock and lock. So you're not going to help contribute us in our passive investing, get your friends to subscribe. Uh, anyways, we did have a quick message from Alex at HSID in the chat. The gr a great app that you could use to search Taiwanese stocks is Stock Unlock. You should check that out. And there was one other question here. Any opinions on the regulatory risks of Airbnb? Yeah, I think that they're real and I think that they exist in micro small regions such as some areas of Canada where if you look at the percentage of Airbnb's total revenue, it is very inconsequential. So yes, I think those stories will come up from my personal research. None of them are going to affect Airbnb's top line enough. And there are counter stories where Airbnb is actually partnering with existing landlords in uh, existing cities or landlords that own tons of properties to make Airbnb friendly places, not even to go down the rabbit hole of all the revenue they're going to start to get from search discovery for planning trips. Uh, my girlfriend and I are doing a Croatia trip and already using other services Airbnb has. So yeah, I one... think I'm having a little bit of ADD, Daniel, with all the amazing conversation coming up from this. I feel the same way. There is so much to talk about and it's hard to pick just one. Let me know if I missed any part of what you said before. I want to add on to your Airbnb. This is going to be a rare comment, so enjoy it. Savor this moment, please. <laughs> when I was in Asia, I actually started noticing Airbnb promoting their experiences, I believe they call them more. And I'm not going to lie, they were pretty intriguing. Like we were in Bali at one point and there was an experience being promoted on Airbnb of like a, um, it was a professional kickboxer who was like a world-renowned kickboxer, retired, and then he was training in his home. And it was like $70 a class, and I was very tempted to go. And I, I thought about it, and I was like, I wouldn't have not seen this outside of Airbnb. Like, they just fed me this, and I'm actually very interested. And Airbnb is probably going to take a profit from that. So it is interesting. Oh. Sorry, we're going to have a really quick consumer discovery thing. You don't need to be on camera if you want, but Taylor, you plan trips a lot. You use different search tools. You told me that you were using Airbnb a little bit more for your traveling, planning our travel trip. Any just consumer experiences you had to select why you like or don't like Airbnb? Um, I like having it all in one place for all of the bookings. Uh, also, when we were looking at places like Croatia and we we're trying to find boat trips, there was also some really great cool experiences, kind of like what Daniel was saying, where people would like host you in their homes and they'll talk about their experience with Croatia. And these people have had like thousands of travelers over and like, there's no other way I would have found out about that. Like a soul corpse Croatian dinner in Dubrovnik outside of Airbnb or some like really, really extensive research. Thank you so much for letting me pick on you. That was very unplanned. Uh, Taylor is a very good sport. Thank you for that. And I think there's lots of advertisement for revenue streams there. I think that there's also lots of partnership opportunities with existing uh, associations and orgs that give basically these trip packages and stuff like that. So this really is the travel company. And I don't think that AI is going to have a bad effect on this business. How is AI going to create more houses and a better buyer seller like 
rental market. I mean, obviously it's going to play a role, but it's different than when we talk about Netflix and it's like, hey, that entire business model of how much you spend money to generate content is about to get flipped upside down and it's either going to be great for them or horrific in my yeah. opinion. So. All right, uh, moving on. Yeah, we've gotten a few comments, questions about GSY. This is go easy. This stock is a Canadian lender, essentially, and they have been hit in the market quite significantly recently because Canada. So first off, I need to back up a little bit, actually. GoEasy is a subprime lender, so they lend out to people who cannot get conventional loans from banks, which means they're taking on higher risk clients and they get a much higher interest rate on these clients, but they get that higher interest rate because these clients one are more risky and tend to default on their loans quite a bit. So I believe that they have some loans at about 40 to 45%, which is pretty high interest rates, right? The government of Canada said they're stopping that. They're not allowing it anymore. And they want to cap the interest rate. Please fact check me again. I think it was at 35% or 30%, one of those two. So basically what that means is some of GoEasy's business and that very high interest rate pool of theirs is going to be lowered which means their profit margins are going to come down and their growth could potentially come down. My opinion on this, I don't think it's a big deal because GoEasy has for years been saying that they are trying to get their average interest rate down and they have been doing that. And now their average interest rate, I believe, is below... No, it's not below 30% yet. I think it's around 35%. But they've essentially been trying to lower their interest rate down below where the new regulations in Canada are. And they put out a press release saying, I think it was something like 5 to 10% of their existing portfolio is in that higher interest rate environment, whatever. So even if they did, even if the government of Canada implemented this tomorrow, it would still only affect their business marginally. So going forward, I don't see it affecting their business too much. It may slow down growth by like one to two percentage points, but I don't think it's a big deal. I think the market is overreacting personally. And the company in their Q1 report that they're going to release in, within like the next three weeks, I think, um, they're going to update their long-term growth projections. And I don't think it's going to be that that much of a difference, to be honest. So yeah, I think it's uh, I, I still think it's a fine stock. I think they're going to be fine long-term. Um, I'm fine to take off a few percentage points of growth. I, yeah. So that's my opinion on it. I'm, I'm not too stressed out. <laughs> well, Dad, Daniel is taking it easy on go easy. That's right. <laughs> for, for everybody in the chat who is with us live, this is one of our favorite things to do. I think we will start taking live stock suggestions. Daniel and I love running through stocks live. Please give us your own bull and bear theses here. And unfortunately, there are enough suggestions where we cannot get to all of them. We do our best. We will not be upset if you post the same repeat questions since sometimes things get lost in the wall. And thank you for being with us today. Daniel, you want to surf through and take the first one here? That was like um, a good question. Yeah, Nathan asks, I liked Daniel's last video about the S&P 500. You said you didn't own any ETFs. You don't own an ETF for India exposure. No, Jake does. I used to. I do not anymore. I own two stocks in India. One is HDB and one is IBN. Both of them are large Indian banks. And uh, that's that's what I decided to go with. I decided to sell my India ETF and just buy two stocks that I felt quite confident in for the long term. And uh, different perspective there. Both are right, whatever you feel comfortable with. Daniel is an investing guru and is very good at analyzing specific businesses. I'm right there behind him, but specifically with India, just don't feel super comfortable on understanding that entire economy and foreign place I've ever been to. For me, I've been buying an ETF. There's multiple. I've been using Indy. They've had some good ETF distribution payments too that make the expense ratio not look as bad when stacked up against other ones and they weren't too exposed to the, I might be butchering this word, the Amani. Uh, there was that short seller report that came on the Indian family. Anyways, they're, one of their top holdings, Daniel, is HDB. I believe last time I checked, it was 6 or 7% of the ETF. Yeah. Yeah, two ways to get exposure to India there. Definitely yeah. a growing economy. Oh yeah, dude. HDB, um, they released their Q1 2023 reports. I think it was like a couple of weeks, within the past couple of weeks. Every single metric just plus 20% again. It's like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I did answer this question in the chat too, just so you're aware of what we already said. Okay. Uh, index funds are well covered and we probably can't add too much unique perspective there. And 
just not financial advice that if you're looking for that, just keep the expense ratio low. But yeah, I just wanted to let you know that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I would just echo Warren Buffett whenever he's asked about investing is just S&P 500 ETFs seem to be the best. I'm skeptical on the returns of them over the next five years right now, but that's, that's what seems to be the best. So yeah. All right. Um, sorry, just reading the chat now. Yeah. G-Man asked what we are buying. Uh, check out the recording. Uh, we did just cover that around eight minutes ago for the respective people live. Uh, we're going to be taking live stops to chat about it now. But all these recordings are posted to our YouTube. We also have a Spotify show now. You can search Stock Talk on Spotify. We would really appreciate your honest review on that and a rating, which helps us get discovered more. Yeah, I'm, I mean, like, I'm also down to just continue taking questions like this. Like, there's just a lot of good investing questions. Uh, go with where your heart takes you. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeremy asks, question, you practice Warren Buffett's investing style, buying great companies with great fundamentals and a good margin of safety, except for one thing, Warren doesn't dollar cost average. Thoughts? Yeah, this is actually a really good question. <laughs> so Warren Buffett, he doesn't dollar cost average. What he does is if he does not see anything smart to do in the market, he will just continue building cash. And we've seen that over the past few years, their cash Berkshire's cash position got up to like $140 billion. And they're not afraid to just continue building cash. Um, this really comes down to everyone's own investment style and what works for you. So what works for me is whenever I get paid, I like to just buy stocks in the market. And I don't dollar cost average, you know, my entire portfolio or an ETF. What I do is I just try to buy the stock that is... I think looking the most valuable at the time I receive money, essentially. So there will be times in my portfolio where one stock might be down for a couple of months and I'll literally just plow all of my excess cash flow into that one stock. And then um, the stock will go up or whatever happens. And then I stop buying it and then I look for the next one. But yeah, that's just what works for me. I don't know if that works for everyone. I don't know if that works for even Jake, but that's, uh, that's just... That's what I found works for me the best as an investor is not to try and time the market or be like, oh, well, I think the market's too high right now. I'm not going to buy stocks for a few months. I want the S&P 500 PE to be 15 because it, it just kind of gets stressful for me. And then I probably would be too active or too focused on day-to-day -day valuations of the entire market or whatever. So, yeah, I, I agree. And just adding a good takeaway from that, I know we have a lot of newer investors here as well as experienced investors. Warren Buffett, while he's a good person to emulate in terms of how he evaluates businesses, I'd actually try to separate that from his uh, buy-sell action because he is in a position where he has tons of cash, a big team, and they do end up avoiding dollar cost averaging. I would actually say we should copy his strategy of how to value businesses, how to view a stock as a business. These aren't little raffle tickets. However, the dollar cost average strategy is great for most of us retail investors. One reason why I like it, Daniel, you talked about stress. The purpose of the dollar cost average strategy is to take emotions, like you said, out of the investing decision. So the reason for people to consider adopting that as their own strategy is when you get very strict on dollar cost averaging, you stop trying to time the market. It just kind of gets you into more of a rhythm. And mathematically, if you back test the strategy over time, you cannot argue that the dollar cost average strategy, as opposed to trying to wait until things fall X percent or something like that, ends up being mathematically equivalent, if not better, than trying to time the market. So have a little bit of self-awareness, as I do. I'm not smart enough to think that I can time the market. I don't think Daniel does either. So that is one reason to adopt the dollar cost average mindset. While still thinking like Warren Buffett. But again, we are not Warren Buffett. No one is ever going to be Warren Buffett ever again. So. Yeah, I've accepted <laughs> Over the past couple of years, I've accepted that I am not Warren Buffett and I will not be him. He is See, Daniel Buffett does have a ring to it, but I'll be honest, man. <laughs> I found you through YouTube. If you called yourself Daniel Buffett, I would have watched you for 10 seconds and been like this airheaded, uh, you know, curse words aside, just like not going to continue to inflate this ego. But yes, a lot yeah, of respect you... for one of the greatest investors of all time. Yeah, you, you, like, the guy is just a freaking genius, man. Everybody. We have a lot more questions here, Daniel. I feel like you've been picking good ones. Uh, whether it's a stock or a regular question about investing, uh, anything's game. Okay. Um, I'm still reading. 
Um, I like this question about what are your thoughts on Apple in India? Is Android the phone for the masses? This is an interesting one because Apple just opened one of their first stores in India and there's a lot of press around Apple gaining market share relative to what they had there, even though India seems to be one of the only huge economies that is not iPhone dominant at this moment. Have you been following that at all, Daniel? Um, is this with Apple moving a lot of their production over to India and trying to gain market share over there? Uh, so there's two sides of it. One is actually like where they're putting their production. I'd say more for this comment and G-Man, please correct us. It's more on the consumer side of things. So India as a culture, they are actually more heavily Android users. And it's a, a lot of people look at it as an untapped market for Apple. Manufacturing aside, and someone can fact check me on this, I'm pretty sure that they are just opening or had just opened their first in-person store, yep. which is like a big deal, especially if you live in India. There's like people traveling around the country to like look at the first Apple store. This is a very Western civilization-esque branded thing. And it's like a big deal when these huge corporations typically thought of as American entities venture internationally. My light opinion on this is they have a lot of work to do to prove that they can gain market share. I think that they will continue to gain market share. However, I think the sticking point here is, will it be a majority market share? I have a hard time seeing that happen in the next couple of years, just because of how entrenched Android is there. And it's going to be interesting to see how willing people are to switch. In Western civilizations, people usually actually started on iPhone. So I think it's a way different story where they started on the iPhone, that was normal, and then Android crept in. This is the exact opposite. So I don't think we've seen this play out yet. And as someone who's into technology, I'm watching it. But my prediction is they have an uphill battle there. They'll get market share, but I don't think that they're going to go over 50% in the next five years. Yeah, we'll see. I really don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, right now, Android is by far leading the market in India. So Apple, as you said, has an uphill battle to fight, and we'll see what happens, you know. They're a great company. They have a great consumer product. So we'll see if people do end up switching over. But yeah, so far in India, they seem to love Android. So go Google. Let's go. All right. Um, we got some questions now about stocks. We like what? stocks. Yes, we like stocks here. <laughs> Let's take a look at... Winnebago. DM asks for Winnebago. I have literally never heard of this stock. Me neither. I love the new ones. Let's take a little look-see. Winnebago. Winnebago Industries. Perfect. I spelled that right. Let's go. The symbol is W-G-O for those of you who are on, on the audio-only version of this. Okay, so this looks like it's been a wild ride for investors. <laughs> Uh, it looks like it's been around for a while. It's not a very large company, though. $1.8 so like a mid-cap stock. Price to free cash flow of 6.51, though. That is interesting, because that means it's a free cash flow yield of 15%. Looks like it's been growing nicely, up 800% since 2011. What do they do? The yearly versus quarterly financials is very interesting, because year over year, it looks like the revenue is going up, but then when you look at the last... Uh, four quarters, it's actually going down every quarter. Yeah, so it sounds like they manufacture recreational vehicles and marine products. So, okay, that makes sense. I've, uh, I've seen businesses in this type of industry before. So typically what happens in this industry is when people are making a lot of money and the economy is good, everything is going up, people tend to buy more recreational vehicles, right? So you can see here from about 2000 to 2004 and then really from here in this area, the business was doing fine, it looks like. Then when the Great Recession came, the stock fell 86, basically 90%. Why is uh, that? Well, Daniel, quick stop here for our viewers. When we talk about this industry, are we talking about like, are they selling us boats? Like if I want yeah. to host a boat party, I'm going to this company to buy a boat. They're like, we sounds... this is all marine stuff. It sounds like, like the eighth, eighth grade level. Yeah, it sounds like basically they sell recreational vehicles. I would say that's probably, you know, ATVs, could be dirt bikes, maybe side-by-sides and marine products, boats, maybe sea dews. This is me guessing based on their description here. Um, but yeah, so in a recession, people are probably not going to be buying a new boat, a new quad, whatever, a new ATV. So that's probably why the stock fell 90%. Now, if we go 
what the heck? Oh, weird. Uh, I don't know why that just happened. But if I was off the screen, but I heard I heard the freak out. Everything okay? Yeah. Am I not sharing my screen? Oh, sorry. You you are. You are. Okay. I I was also looking at WGO, looking at the margin. Okay. So let's go and take a look at their business. So you can see here in 2004 down to the pit of 2009, their revenue fell by 80 ish percent. So basically, yeah, during the Great Recession, their revenue fell off a freaking cliff and people seemed like they weren't really buying their vehicles. And then since the Great Recession, the economy has been in this nice expansion, really ex in a massive expansion since 2020. And you can see that people were spending their money on these not necessarily things they needed and their revenue took off. Now you can see that it's starting to come back down again. If we go to a quarterly view, the revenues actually dropped quite significantly. So just, just like a wave that they sell their boats on. Exactly. But basically this, this business, what I think about it from a 30 second analysis is it's very dependent on what the macro is doing. So they, it looks like they do great when times are good, but when times get bad, their business kind of starts to struggle and the market will, or seems to have reflected that historically. Yeah. It seems like anyone that was thinking about buying one of these products, which typical consumers don't purchase them all the time, probably did so in the last few years. So you have to ask yourself, are those consumers going to come back out? Do they have any way to like diversify their product offerings or post sales things with a subscription or something they can sell? Daniel, you didn't say this specifically, but this looks like a little bit more high risk since we're coming out of a boom cycle potentially. What do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, that's my speculation. That would be my speculation. But then again, you know, this this company's trading for a 6.5 price to free cash flow. So then there's the argument of like, okay, well, how much of that future business decline is already priced in? I I actually don't know. Yeah, I, I can see that though. So if the, the reason why the price of free cash flow might be so high is you can say Wall Street is betting that this company's free cash flows are going to decline yep. a lot. So it might look like the ratio is X percent now. It could easily be half of that at the same stock price if they go down. And I would want to also find Daniel, I'm imagining that this is not, this is a new business for us, by the way, for everyone listening or just tuning in, we took this from a live chat. I, as an investor, want to say, okay, what other companies are also selling similar products? Because they're definitely not the only public recreational boating or ATV company. What valuations do those companies usually trade for? Does this company have a moat or a differentiator as to why they're going to keep on growing, balancing against other companies? So just getting a better feel for the industry as a whole. Uh, while this price of free cash flow might look nice, it might actually be normal for this industry. So just for those of you who are watching, if you're thinking about watching this stock, we did not go through enough to make an investment. Of course, yeah. it was not investment advice, but that would be the next step. Look at our competitors, get a better feel for the industry. And uh, thank you for this one. Yeah, that's like my two-minute analysis. I'm not even sure if I know what vehicles they sell properly. So, Well, we started that off saying, I've never heard of this stock before. I think yeah. those are the most fun because this is how we try to teach everyone on our stream, especially when using stock unlock the questions you should be answering yourself, sorry, asking yourself and how to answer them when approaching any new business as an investor minded, uh, long-term thinker, you know, we're not doing day trades here on this stuff. What do you mean? You don't day trade Jake? My mom told me to, when I have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. <laughs> you keep on trying to bait me into that slippery slope and I want to go down it, but you know, gonna save, save us in the chat and the health of our stream by keeping us on topic with stocks. But yeah, yeah smoke the bear and he uh, might. might we'll, we'll get you one day. We'll get some spicy conversation. Hey, what are you looking at here? What's the ticker? What do they do? Um, this is WSM Williams Sonoma Inc. $8 billion company. It looks like they've been around for a long time. Retail company. Let's find out what they do. Retailing home products. The company is headquartered in San Francisco. Um, so yeah, retailing home products seems to be what they do. Okay. Cool. Cool. This, my immediate thoughts are similar to the last stock that we looked at. People are probably buying more home products when the economy is expanding and then when the economy is not doing so well i would probably hold off on buying new home products we can see that from 2006 to 2008 this stock dropped 82 to 84 percent i'm not saying that's going to happen again but that would be my speculation as to just like consumer behavior when the economy is uh declining we can see here 
in 2008, their revenue did drop from $4 billion to $3 billion, so about 30%. Not nearly as dramatic as the last stock. I will say that. But let's take a look. Operating cash flow looks like it boomed when everyone was getting free money, and now it's coming back down. In 2008, their cash flow was kind of downtrending, but the company held up well. So it seems like the, the fundamentals of the business look like they were actually quite resilient, which is interesting. Like, take a look at this. Their operating cash flow was $360 million in 2006. It bottomed out here in 2009 at $230 million, so yes, it dropped like 30 to 40%. But the stock dropped 80-something percent. Yeah, so, I'd love to look at the price to operating cash flow throughout that time period because we'll probably see that swing, and we might be able to use that in the current environment. We do have a comment here from Robert Howard. I'm assuming it is about WSM, the stock we are talking about, that they sell to high-end consumers. So just adding a little bit more framing around the type of customer this company has. Thank you for that, Robert. Yeah, so WSM was trading for an 18.7 price to operating cash flow. And then in 2008, it got down to two. What? <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, what about the price to free cash flow, though? Yeah, was that actually like below one? Yeah, Hold up. This is like a time machine where it's like if you were in the trenches after the 2008 recession in the stock market and you actually had saved money to buy stocks. Yeah, the price to free cash flow in 2008 got down to six point, no, it got down to five point six, and then it got down there again to five in 2010. Okay, it looks so, like it's still around like ten now though. So this stock, traditionally, I know that we see higher multiples on tech companies when we look at them, maybe more in like the. 10 to 25 30 range this looks a little normal so maybe it ranges from like 6 to say 13 or 14 price operating cash flow over time yeah what i do like is this the actual fundamentals of this business look like they're quite resilient even in a recession so i do like that but what's also interesting is this company from 2009 to today is up 14 basically 1500 percent. and if you take a look at the price ratios here this has not been due to the price ratios expanding so that 1,500%, 15x return is actually due to the fundamentals of the business growing. It's not like, oh, the market has changed the price to free cash flow from 5 to 30, which is where a lot of the returns came from. No, like the free cash flow for this business has actually grown a lot over the past, um, what's that, like 15 years now? Competitive annual growth rate of 10.43%. Yeah, and Robert mentioned something about their, uh, oh, he said, look at the dividend growth. So maybe we can bring up the dividend tab uh, or some stats in here. Yeah, let's go to the dividends. But it looks like their consumers are sticking with them potentially. So one way to analyze a company, again, thinking of stocks as an actual business, these are not raffle tickets. How sticky are their consumers? Do they continue to come back and buy their products? These are all things you want to see in terms of a company's brand and moat. Now, I don't personally understand moats in these types of businesses, but uh, you guys in the chat might. There could be a potential moat here around their customer loyalty and brand. So we might be seeing that, Daniel, with their numbers staying up because it is impressive that they don't crash super hard. Yeah. At least um, under financials during a recession. Yeah. So this company currently has a 3% dividend yield. The on the five year basis, it has compounded at 15%. So they're growing the dividend very quickly as well. And wow. the payout ratios are not that high. Those are like this is a very nice this is very good dividend statistics right there. It shows that management is responsibly paying out dividends. One thing you don't want to see here uh, for the newer investors watching us is a higher payout ratio because the dividends come from somewhere and there are companies out there that are paying out more in dividends than they generate in cash. Uh, you can use your imagination as to why that is not as good as seeing a company that can very clearly cover their dividend payment as yeah. well as grow it over time. If you take financial flow. Sorry. If you take a look at the total returns here, like I'm just going to scroll. This is comparing the total returns versus the S&P 500 total returns. And what is this ticker? WSM is on top here. So as I scroll, you can see that this stock, almost no matter where you bought it, has either outperformed the S&P 500 or been quite in line with it. And in recent years, it's actually quite heavily outperformed the S&P 500. I love watching that animation. Little engineering note aside, that was very fun to code. If you are on audio, we are looking at graphs, uh, looking at dividend returns, both including dividend uh, payments received, as well as just pure stock performance over time, benchmarked against the SPY. Very easy to do in stock unlock. They also buy back shares. Wow. They've bought back $880 million worth of shares in the past year. So no, in the freeform tool, Daniel, we have that stock unlock unique metric for 
I believe it is percent return to shareholders that looks at buybacks as well as dividends. That could be a good one to look at too. But this seems like a very shareholder friendly business. Overall. It's a very shareholder friendly business. They had 120, is this million shares? I'm going to say million, 120 million shares in 2005. And now they have 67 million. So they've almost half their share count over the past, well, almost 20 years, but they're buying back shares on top of increasing the dividend. So yeah, like right away, this seems like a very shareholder friendly business. They seem to be giving shareholders back a lot of cash. Business does not seem overvalued right now. Um, I do question if their revenue and free cash flow and whatever is going to drop over the next few years, if we do enter some harder economic or more challenging economic times. But in terms of the actual business, it looks like they're very shareholder friendly and uh, honestly quite attractive. This is like actually a quite attractive stock. Not financial advice. Not financial advice, but a good research candidate for sure. So looking at the time here, Daniel, we, I believe, are going for an hour today. We have a few minutes left, so I think we can take one more question. I have seen someone very politely asking for a stock a few times here. Have you ever heard of DABA? It looks like it is a London tech company. This person is claiming incredible balance sheet, very cheap right now. If there's a way to get me interested in looking at a stock i don't know about you daniel but the phrase incredible balance sheet and very cheap right now would definitely stick out to me i'm not sure if you want to we want to take that one as the last one in the stream yeah let's do it and uh Maram, i've seen you uh, ask this since the beginning really appreciate you being here the whole time and thank you for your patience like i said we do our best to get to everyone's suggestions and again we go live every week so if we did not get to yours this week please join us again next weekend what kind of company are you looking at here, Daniel? Currently a tech company. Um, looks like they IPO'd in 2018, had a massive run in 2021, 622% return in three years, and now it is down 64% from its all-time highs, it looks like. Let's find out what this business does, though. For Engages in the provision of technology services. Um... Honestly, from reading this, I'm not totally sure what the business does. If they're some sort of tech company, I I don't understand what they do based on just reading that quickly. So uh, let's start looking through their financials. This is yeah. kind of in my wheelhouse, so I'll go in a different tab and look at that, see if I can chime in. But also for Maram, for your question here, please chime in in the chat. Let us know what else you are seeing about this business as well, and we can collaborate on this research here. Okay, so I'm seeing a very high stock on a lock insight score. They've grown revenue at 36% over the past year, and it has more cash than current liabilities, meaning it has enough cash to handle all of its debts within the next year if it wanted to. Like financial, health, financial health 3.5, current ratio is near 3. Intangibles, they have a little bit of a high amount of intangibles. They bought back a little bit of shares, and cash is more than current liabilities. Growth is a perfect 5.0. Revenue, gross profit, operating income, net income, operating cash flow, free cash flow, book value, and tangible book value are all growing very good. That is really strong growth. I love to see that. Profitability, 3.6. Gross margin is 33 to 34% average. Free cash flow margin is good. Cash conversion is good. I can also chime in quickly on what this business does. Now, please correct me in the chat, but just reading the quick paragraph here, Daniel, this seems like a business-to-business company they specialize in software and what they sell to other businesses is their management and consultation over integrating software into an existing business both from basically revamping the company's entire tech stack integrating with them throughout payments features anything that makes their business run helping them post in the cloud i would imagine that their customers are legacy or pre-existing non-technically forward other companies that are looking to save money on their operations by becoming more technical focused and it seems like once they get entrenched with the company we're looking at now daba that they are likely very sticky customers because whenever you have a b2b business like this from my experience daniel you do have a lot of stickiness in terms of who your customers are since once they are with you it is almost impossible to leave so that is what i just gleaned from that to add a little bit of color to where we started this off as to what does this company do anyways please continue on the financials they seem salivatingly beautiful from what you have found so far they're pretty good there's not a lot of uh red flags here like if you take a look at their asset breakdown right here um they do have quite a bit of goodwill you know 27 percent of the assets are goodwill but 26 percent is cash and like 
That's not really a red flag to me. Liabilities, most of their liabilities are incurred liabilities. And then if you take a look at the total assets versus liabilities, they have a lot more assets than liabilities. So yeah, not really, not really anything going on there. It looks good. How are their margins? Since this is a software company, I do wonder if they have the software margins of, you know, like 90% gross. No, um, on the insights, we saw that their gross margin is actually 34%. So their, their gross margin is not as high as other software businesses. Yeah, that's probably more on their doing direct consultation integration work as opposed to selling an infinitely scalable like stock and lock software, right? Where like people just go and self-serve. Yeah, what is interesting about this business though is it is growing very strong. It's yeah. generating cash flow. And the price to free cash flow is actually 22.6 per or sorry, 22.67 if you want to round up right now, which means that it's got a free cash flow yield of 4.4% which isn't that bad. I mean, what is the 10-year bond at today? 3.5 or something like that? So this business is actually offering a higher yield than bonds and it's growing quite quick. So uh, I don't know if the market just like is being quite bearish on the stock now that it's 64% or what's going on here, but honestly, it doesn't seem that expensive. I would definitely want to check who this company partners with. So depending on who their main customers are, it's very possible they have a big main customer that might not be doing so well. I was actually going to lead into the question, Daniel, as we wrap this up in the next minute or two. Of course, this is not a complete investment analysis. I think it's always great for the viewers to hear from you what some of the next steps you would take as an investor to look into this deeper. If you were watching the stream, you're like, okay, this looks interesting. But I heard Jake and Daniel say, this isn't enough information to invest. How do they fill some of those gaps from the stream? And what are some questions that are still unanswered for you when looking into businesses like this? Yeah. Um... I'll answer that in a second here. One last thing I want to say is just that this company is now trading for a price to free cash flow of, uh, you know, around that 22.623. And in the stock market crash of 2020, it was about 32. So the market is pricing this stock the lowest it's ever been priced in terms of free cash flow. So getting back to your question, Jake, I would want to know why is this? What is happening? What is the market seeing? Like, is there a reason why the market is selling this off? And then that goes back to your comment of maybe they do have one large customer that's not doing so well, or maybe one of their customers is leaving or something like that. This is me speculating. I have no idea, but yeah, that's kind of what I would ask. And then I would also ask, I still don't fully understand what they do. I don't know who their competitors are. I have no idea. So I would need to understand that because one thing I've learned through my few years of investing, you know, what is this, like six, seven years now, is the moat of a business is very tied to the margin of safety of that business. So sure, it could have a 20 price to free cash flow today, 5% free cash flow yield. But if the business gets disrupted, or it doesn't really have a solid moat, and the free cash flow drops over the future, then you're not really actually getting a good price today. So the moat of the business that protects its cash flows and its growth in the future is very important and it is directly tied to a, a business's or a stock's margin of safety when you buy it. So one thing I would definitely ask and try to figure out is how solid is the company and uh, how certain am I that it's going to continue growing? Because right now I have no idea. I, I don't know those those answers. Yeah. Uh, and I can add a little, that that's great, Daniel. Thank you. I can add a little color too from the engineering side of things, not to overstate this. That's my background in terms of coding. So yeah, moats here are a big concern. So there are lots of consulting companies. Like, why are they getting business over other ones? I think Robert here is uh, giving us some good research on the who their customers are. So like we said, are any of their customers in distress? Are they going to keep on re-signing? What's their revenue model? Here's a bear case for any of these businesses, Daniel. And this is blanket statement for those of you listening. The AI revolution coming online is real. The interface of how humans develop technology and how that's is always changing is still constant and the rate of change is accelerating. So I think what might get brought into question with some of these B2B companies that give very vanilla services to their customers of just, Hey, we help you become uh, technological successes through implementing technology using cloud services, not on, uh, on campus, like data centers. I think that's going to continue to change. I think the cost will continue to get driven down. I do think AI solutions around helping these companies do these transitions and the costs around them is going to go down and down and down and lower and lower over time. 
which you can debate has already been happening, but I see that rate accelerating. So I personally question all these business models. And that is a very real concern for me for those looking for a very long-term play here. Is the management of this company going to be able to stay on top of that wave crest of AI, continue to innovate and give value as a B2B service to these other companies? I don't know, but like you should really be confident answering that question for yourself before investing in any of these companies. That would be my my advice to everyone here. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because it's it's just like, you know, Warren Buffett doesn't own a lot of tech companies and I wonder I wonder if it's because he genuinely doesn't know if in 20 years if any tech company that he looks at is going to be disrupted by a new competitor that comes out of nowhere or like AI at this point. Because if you take a look at what Warren Buffett typically buys, it's like well, he hasn't bought any railroads, but Berkshire Hathaway owns one of the largest railroad companies in the United States. They buy oil companies or companies that seem to be absolutely critical to the economy of the United States or the global economy that, in my opinion, aren't really going to be disrupted by technology. Technology will only help their businesses improve over time because you can't just like AI is not going to create more oil or create more drilling stations or anything like that or build a new railroad exactly so those are the businesses that warren buffett seems to focus on and it could all stem back to your comment where it's like in 20 years you don't know for sure if these tech companies are going to be disrupted or not yeah one bubble we're in right now is every single stream i'm surprised we didn't get any this time is we look at another payment processing company i'm like i have seen so many financial payment processing companies yep. Like, this is literally a feature. This is not a business. Anyways, this might be a good point to wrap it up. Daniel, was there anything else you wanted to hit here before I do our little outro? A outro. Jeez. <laughs> I don't think so. Nope. Sweet. Well, this has been Stock Talk episode 28. We really, really appreciate all of the viewers live, especially all of you who will be watching this recording. Please share us with friends if you're liking what you're seeing. If you're not on Stock and Lock, check us out. And... Daniel and I will be here every week, uh, bringing market news, talking with the chat, going over earnings. And yes, find us on Spotify, go to our free Discord, stockandlock.com. Thank you so much. You're all incredible. And this has been a really fun one. We're already looking forward to next week. Yeah. Thank you everyone for being here. And we will be streaming next Saturday, most likely. Don't see why not. So stay tuned for next week. And uh, yeah, check out Stock Unlock if you're not already on it. It's a great platform. Hit the like button, hit the bell. Daniel, I'm going to hit the thing, the end broadcast, and we get the okay. bell and wave. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everyone.